If, uh, if you have your Bibles uh, with you and you'd like to follow along with me, uh, which I encourage you to do always, uh, even though the scriptures are on the screen in front of you, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13, and beginning verse 24, this is our passage for today. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a new sermon series here uh, at Old Cutler on Jesus' parables, uh, a series uh, that I've entitled Stories of Eternal Weight, which reflects really what these, these parables are. They are stories that go beyond just the common everyday sense of what the story is saying because there's something eternal, something about the kingdom of God that we see in these particular parables. And so we started this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we'll be in these different parables over the, the summer, uh, which actually gives us about 16 weeks, uh, and we'll go up through Labor Day. And so there's a lot more, as probably you know, if you've ever read the parables, there's a lot more parables than 16. And so I've selected 16 that I want to, uh, to, to preach over the course of the summer. And today we're looking at what's called the parable of the weeds, the parable of the weeds. And the reading begins at verse 24. And so this parable has a reading and then an explanation that aren't connected immediately. And so we'll read from verse 24 down uh, through verse 30, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 36 and read down to verse 43. So follow along with me. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then down to verse 36, it says, then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the, evil, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is God's word. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of his word. So I have a little obstacle here, so I'm probably going to be on that side more than this side. But we'll, we'll try. I'll start out over here first. So I can squeeze by there. <laughs> so I, I think it's, it's probably true for all of us in, in life that um, we deal with differing forms of dissonance in our lives, right? And, and what I mean by that is that there are, are things that go on in life that seem to be incongruent, uh, inconsistent. Uh, they don't quite fit together. And a way that we kind of normally process that is that there are things that maybe we believe or think, but we don't do them, right? 
Or it could be, you know, things that we believe or think and we don't see them. We don't see how they sort of play out in, in the world. And so there's a dissonance in us, a sense of an inconsistency in us as a result of that. And all of us know this. I think this is true in, in terms of the sort of common uh, sort of everyday things of life. I mean, I, I could do it like this with you. I could say, okay, let's, let's, here's a line and it's underlined and you fill in the blank of those things in your life that you say, say you know they're good to do these things, like, but you don't do them. Or you know it's, it's bad to do these things and you do them. A lot of times those things deal with what? Diet, right? Exercise, like, like I know there's like terrible food to eat, but I'm going to eat it anyway, right? Or this is really good food for me to eat, but I'm not going to eat that kind of food, right? We, we all go through that. And it creates this sort of dissonance in us, this, this sense of, of incongruity that's not sort of fitting together, right? I think this is also true spiritually. I think there is a, a kind of cognitive spiritual dissonance that we can have. Uh, and, and you can easily sort of see the ways this will manifest itself. I think, you know, even when we as believers in Jesus Christ, when we sin, there's a kind of dissonance in that. There's, a, there's an inconsistency in, in that, that, that we know God is calling us to a particular thing and we don't do it. Or we know he says, don't do this thing. And we do that thing anyway, right? There is something there that is inconsistent, that is incongruent, right? Uh, I think another one that I've struggled with through my journey, and I know the theological answer to this, but it doesn't take away the sense of tension that I experience in this, is the fact that the scripture very clearly talks about how Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, how he has, has conquered sin. And there's, there's, there's a sense in which this is true, that the, the tyrannical hold of sin over us is broken. And yet, sin seems so powerful still. Right? And that does, it creates this sort of, this sort of, I don't know, what's going on there, right? Now, the reason I'm beginning in this way is because I believe in a significant way what this parable does is it deals with the, the dissonance that arises as we think about the kingdom of God, or as Matthew refers to it, the kingdom of heaven. And here's the way that it expresses itself, or the way that we can think about this. That it is clear in Scripture, Jesus Christ says it over and over again, that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, right? It's here, right? And yet, we, we can hold on to that. That's not the point. Not there yet. Sorry. <laughs> that is the point, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> yet, even though we know the kingdom of heaven has arrived or the kingdom of God has arrived, I think we, we can struggle with this, you know, why isn't it more overtly and visibly successful, right? If, if God's kingdom is at work in this world, why does the world look like this? Why does it look like this? If God's kingdom is at work in this world, why does the church struggle the way that it struggles, okay? Those are real concerns. And real concerns that I think genuine believers in Christ will wrestle with at times in our lives, right? And, and I believe that this particular parable, is, it's powerful, it's a powerful parable. It helps us to, to come to terms with some of these things and to understand why uh, it is the way it is, okay? And, and Jesus teaches us here, I think, three things that I, I want to make sure we understand that can help us during the, the realities of dealing with the dissonance that we, sh we, we do face in concern, concerning God's kingdom. 
And so here, here are the things I want to talk about, and we'll see them in the context of the, of the parable itself. So the first one is, and now you can put it up, that the kingdom of God is here. Now, I've already said that, but here's why I said it, and I'm saying it again. And sorry for the mistake. I should have put a note on that one, so you would have been able to track me on that. The reason I'm saying it again is because we need to hear this, right? No matter what the dissonance is, the kingdom of God is here. It is here, okay? But then that leads to the second thing that is really a, a main source of the dissonance we feel, and that is that the kingdom of God or God's kingdom is challenged. It's challenged. But, and this is what I want to make sure you understand, it's here, it's challenged, but here's the third thing. God's kingdom will triumph. It will triumph. And so I, I think in a sense I'm going to be effective in the preaching of the sermon today when every last one of us leave this place with a sense of hallelujah, praise God, because we belong to a victorious kingdom, right? But let's start with this idea that the kingdom of God is here, that it is here. And this is something that we, have, we see, I've already mentioned that we see in Jesus and what he talked about, uh, that he talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that he brought forth the kingdom and all of these parables in one way or another, they, they reference this kingdom and what it is like and how it grows and how it advances. If you happen to have turned your Bible open to the reading of the text today, uh, one of the things you'll see is that Matthew chapter 13 is a, a chapter that's full of parables about the kingdom of heaven, one after another. There's a whole series of parables in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of heaven, about what the kingdom of heaven is, about how the kingdom of heaven grows, about how it advances in the world. I mean, parable after parable after parable about God's kingdom. The parable of the weeds is the second of these parables. The first is the parable of the sower. Now, you may remember that we looked at the parable of the sower as our first parable. We didn't look at it from Matthew's version. We looked at it from Luke. But the reason we looked at it first is because, in a sense, the parable of the sower, it's described by some as sort of the parable. And meaning by that, that it's the parable, and it's, and it's helping us to understand how you interpret parables, right? And I talked about that when we looked at that particular parable. But the parable of the sower, it actually does reveal to us a, a, a very clear way in which the kingdom of God takes hold and advances in this world. That there is a sower, and that sower is Jesus, and he's sowing seed and that seed is according to Luke the word of God but according to Matthew in Matthew chapter 13 verse 19 it is notice the way he words it the words of the kingdom the word of the kingdom so that when we think about what the gospel is when we think about what the word of God is there's a very real sense that you need to understand that the word of God that the gospel is all about the kingdom of God, okay? And so what the parable of the sower is saying to us is that that kingdom in this world, it is revealed, it takes hold, it grows, it advances through the faithful proclamation of the word of the kingdom. Now the parable of the sower deals with responses, right? Responses to that word. And it gives us these four different soils, and one of them, only one, the good soil, is where the word of the kingdom takes hold. 
And the good soil responds in saving faith, bearing fruit of the kingdom. Okay? Fruit of the kingdom. So the good soil. Okay. Now, that is one way of thinking about the kingdom's advance. It advances in the world. It is revealed in the world. It takes hold in the world through proclamation of the word of the kingdom and people receiving and believing the word of the kingdom. Now, what's interesting as we move into the parable of the weeds is that in the parable of the weeds, what's happened is the, the seed is, is described differently. So in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of the kingdom. The good soil that receives that word, that's the people of God, the people of the kingdom. But in the parable of the weeds, the good seed actually shifts. It changes. The sower's the same, but the good seed now becomes the people of the kingdom. So we see this as the parable begins. We see the parable, verse 24. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Okay, so here's this parable, still dealing with farming, still dealing with the sower, still dealing with those kind of things. It's a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now, Jesus here explains this. So if you go down to verse 36, down through verse 38, note, note what he says, what it says. It says, then he left the crowds and he went into a, the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Now, let me just stop and remind you of something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus, when he preached these parables or taught these parables, he's teaching the crowds. And so there are all these people that are following Jesus, right? And some of them are genuine. Some of them really want to follow him. Some of them really want to know him. And then there are others in the crowd that are just following him because maybe he's the hit, hip hop, hip, hip hop, hip hot thing of the day. You guys get that? Okay. Talked about hip hop last week. I promise I will not talk about it again this week. It just popped out of my mouth, right? But they don't really want to know him, right? And so Jesus preaches in these parables. So as Isaiah 6 says, they see and they really don't see, they hear, they really don't understand because the parables can be words of judgment and words of grace. But to his followers, the disciples, they ask, so they go into the house with them and they say, Jesus, will you explain this? And notice what he says, beginning in verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. All right, same sower. But then he says, middle verse 38, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The sons of the kingdom. Or the sons and daughters of the kingdom. The children of the kingdom. Now, what is this helping us to understand? When we talk about kingdom, the kingdom of God is it's being revealed in the world because of the work of Christ. One way you can say that it is being revealed in the world is by the word of the kingdom being proclaimed. But another way you can think of the kingdom of God in the world is by the children of the kingdom being manifest and planted in this world. Now what this means is that when you think of yourself one of the things that you need to think is that you are actually a son or daughter, boy or girl, man or woman, agent, I don't, ambassador, I don't know what language, what other language, all kind of language, but it is all about you being what? You are a child of the kingdom 
of God in this world. Now, we'll talk about this more in a moment, but the seed here that's represented is the wheat, right? It's the wheat. You are the wheat. That's what this is being. So when you look at the past and you look at the wheat, that's you. If you have trusted in the King, Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, you are wheat. Now, part of the dissonance that we all have is that we live in a world where everything seems to be counter to it or the church struggles so much and all these different kinds of things. And I would say to you today, this is first challenge. I think there's more to be said, but this is first challenge. I would say to you today that a part of why things look the way they look is because too often the wheat isn't being wheat. I mean, you can look at so much of evangelicalism and ask yourself, what in the world is happening in the church? And I will tell you, here's what's happening. Wheat is thinking like and even acting like weeds. Like weeds. If you were here two weeks ago, I told you that one of the things that parables do is parables, they, they challenge us. They do that. They challenge us. And I think as we begin to see, okay, there is the, the proclamation. There is the proclamation of the kingdom. And that can never end. And it needs to be faithful. And the truth of the matter is too many men who do what I do aren't actually being faithful in preaching the word of God. But please don't make the mistake of thinking that the only thing that matters is what I do. It matters what we do. It matters that we are children of the kingdom. Now what that means is this, that the kingdom of God in this world, it does advance through word proclamation. But it also advances. It also is seen by you and me living in this world as children of King Jesus. Now, when you, when you begin to sort of wrestle with that a little bit, it means that there is a sense in which, all right, I'm, 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 I'm going to say this. Listen, I'm going to say this to make a point. I don't beat myself up over this. <laughs> but... I think there is a sense of failure, that at times we're not good enough, and I'm not good enough, and the church isn't good enough in discipling you to do that. We're just not. You know, we are, as a a session, one of the things we're going to do this fall as we bring our new guys on is we're going to have a retreat, and we're going to talk about how do we better disciple people. And I think part of talking about how do we better disciple you to, to be God's kingdom people in this world is to help you to begin to better understand a reformed idea of vocation. And that idea of vocation is this notion that you are called by God to be his child in this world, in every place in this world. You are a child of the kingdom of the living God. And his kingdom moves through you. And part of our responsibility to you is to help you to be more faithful in doing that. All right. 
His kingdom is here. And part of it is sitting right here in this room. But additionally, God's kingdom is challenged. Which means there there is an enemy. There is an adversary. And this enemy, this adversary is described in verse 25 in this way as the parable goes on. But but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And this is kind of a strange thing because we we wouldn't think about this so much today. uh, But it was an issue in the ancient world. Um, It it was an issue in the ancient world uh, to the extent that the Roman Empire actually had to put laws in place uh, to curb this practice. Because people would try to hurt other people by doing this, by planting wheat in their fields. Now, the wheat that's spoken of here is a, is a, a variant. It's a, it's a particular sort of grass or grain. It's, it's called um, darnel. Or, for those of us who are older in the room, it's called tares, right? And if you are of a certain age, I know you will probably know this parable as the parable of the wheat and the tares, Darnel, it looks, and here's the reason why this is so sinister, tares or darnel, it looks just like wheat. And it'll grow up, it's identical to wheat until wheat or the darnel comes in the ear or begins to to get ahead, right? And then you start to see its its difference, okay? And so here is an enemy of the man who sows and he puts wheat in his field. Now, what does this mean? Well, if you notice, going over to verse 38 and 39, Jesus here interprets it, and he says, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Okay. So, okay, we just some things very clear. The enemy is the devil. The seeds in this instance, instead of being the, the sons of the kingdom, it's the sons of the evil one, right? The children of, of evil. Now, it gets to the field that really helps us to understand something. And I think it creates, for whatever reason, a misinterpretation of this parable. Because there are some who have looked at this parable and basically concluded that the parable of the weeds is about the visible church. And what they have said is this. That this parable teaches us that in the visible church, which is the church that exists in this world, uh, there will be wheat and tares or wheat and weeds or wheat and darnel in the church. In other words, there will be believers and at times unbelievers. So it's dealing with the idea of the church being mixed, right? Now, I think that point of the church having believers and sometimes unbelievers in it is is a truth. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. I mean, mean, there are times, and I imagine most of you have probably experienced sometimes in your life people like that who are maybe professing, but they're not real genuine believers, and they may be a part of the church, right? So there's some truth in that, and I think we as as leaders in the church and all of us should pursue the purity of the church, which means we want, you know, the faithful preaching of the church, we want discipleship in the church, we want discipline in the church so that we're, we're, we're wanting the purity of the church. We want to call sinners back for the glory of God, all those kind of things. But I think until the end, there will be some sense in which the church is mixed. My problem isn't with that idea. The problem is with saying that comes from this parable because it doesn't. It doesn't. If there's a parable you can see that in, I would choose the parable of the sower. 
Because in the parable of the sower, you get these different kinds of soils. And only two of them are clear. The two that are clear, it's a good soil. And the hard path. One is believers. One is clearly unbelievers who reject it. The other two are what? People that you may think are believers. And they, there's no reason to say that they won't come into churches and join churches. But they show themselves false. Now, when you turn to this particular parable, the parable of the seed and the weeds, here's the thing you have to see because Jesus says it. And I don't know why people keep going back to saying that this parable is about the visible church because Jesus literally says the field is the world. It's not the church. That's not what he says. He says the field is the world. And so, therefore, then what is this parable getting at? That in this world... The sons and daughters of the kingdom are being sown throughout this world. And at the same time, there is an adversary in this world. There is an enemy in this world. And there are people in this world who are standing against, to the extent that they can, the movement of the kingdom of God and the people of God in this world. And they will be here in this world until the end. And that's why, if you notice in verse 26 on down, it says, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in, the, in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Now note that, that part in verse 39, because this is the key. It's, it's like, like we sometimes ask ourselves, and this is part of the dissonance, why is the evil still here? Why does the world still look like this? Why is there so much rebellion against the things of the kingdom? And keep in mind, the wheat and the darnel, the wheat and the weeds, they look exactly the same until the point of the harvest. And so what he, what he says is, it's not now, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. So it's basically saying it's going to happen, but it, it can't happen right now. Because if it happens right now, then you're going to root up wheat while you're doing that, right? While the judgment is happening. Now, what in the world is he getting at here? Well, let's go back to the Great Commission and think about that for a moment. So in the Great Commission, remember Jesus tells us what our marching orders are to be, right? But right before he does that, and this is a part of the Great Commission I think we miss, and when we miss it, we are missing it. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And you know what that means? It means when Jesus ascended and took his place at the right hand of God, he was making a declaration that he is the king now, right now. 
King Jesus sits on his throne now. He rules all heaven and all earth now. Now. Not just in the future, now. And then he says, okay, go and make disciples. And do you know what a disciple is? A follower of King Jesus. So go and make followers of King Jesus in the world, which is a Greek word, patata ethne, which basically means all the ethnicity, go and make followers of King Jesus throughout all the world. Now, here's what you have to understand. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at in the parable. When we go as wheat into all the world, what we're doing is we're going into the world of weeds. The world of darnel. The world of tares. And we're calling people into the kingdom. Now, there is a patience there. Here's what you have to understand. Why, why does God wait? Why is there still this evil in the world? If he's king, why did he get rid of it? Why? So that his redemptive, salvific purposes can be ultimately fulfilled in the world. Okay? Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 9, in verse 20, 22 and 23. He said, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured, listen to this, with patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Do you understand what this is saying? That there are vessels of wrath out there. That there are those who are going to be judged because they are children of the evil one who is going to be finally judged. And yet, God is patient in doing that because of the vessels of mercy of whom he wants to make himself known. So some of the dissonance we feel, like why are we in this world? It's because there are still folk out there, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who need to submit to King Jesus. Okay? So God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is challenged, and very quickly, it will triumph. It wins. <laughs> wins. Actually, he's won. I mean, think about Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. He's, there's victory over sin. There's victory over death. There's victory over this world system. All those things are true. And they're, they're true now in a sense, right? But there's still this, this sort of pushback that exists in the world. And so the parable goes on to say, this is verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at a harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to, to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so what he's saying is, okay, eventually, right, here's the wheat, the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, 
They're going to come up, and eventually there is going to be a harvest time. And when there's a harvest time, the weeds are going to be taken, bundled, and burned up. The, the wheat is going to be taken into his barn. And he explains this over in verse 39 through verse 43, where he says the harvest is the, is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And before I move on, let me just say something. This, this figurative language, this, this metaphoric language, this is language that speaks to a reality. I, I want you to hear me say this today. Hell is real. Eternal punishment is real. And those who do not submit their lives to King Jesus are going to experience that. He says it, as bad as this is, hell is worse. And then he says in verse 43, then the righteous, I love this image. Just think about this for a moment. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, don't you want to shine like the sun in the kingdom of God? My goodness. But he tells us something intriguing about how, how, how all of this stuff will be dealt with, how all the dissonance is going to be removed. And here's how he describes it. He says his angels will gather out of his kingdom. Notice that. His angels will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Now, what you would expect, and I think this is probably the way a lot of us think about this, is that it would be this, that his angels would gather out of this world his people. But what this says is something different than that. It says his angels will gather out of his kingdom. His kingdom. Why? Because his kingdom is here and it ain't going to leave. It's here. Right? His kingdom is on the move. It is advancing. At the end of the service, we're going to sing in just a moment, this is my father's world. This world belongs to him. And his kingdom is taking this world. And what will bring all of the dissonance to an end and all of the struggle and all of these things is the angels are going to take out of this kingdom, God's kingdom, in this world right now, all causes of sin and all law-breaking so that the day is before us. And I know we are all saying, come Lord Jesus, soon and very soon, where we will be able to declare what we see in Revelation eleven fifteen that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Jesus ends the parable in these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what does it mean to hear this parable? A parable that the kingdom is here. A parable that the kingdom is challenged. A parable that the kingdom will fully and finally triumph. Here's what it means to hear it.
It means that you, Christian, child of the king, you should be in this world confident, assured, bold, and at the same time, know that you are to endure and persevere and wait, but to know that the ultimate and full reality of God's kingdom, it's right around the corner. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, between now and that day, on this day, be faithful. Follow King Jesus. What a privilege. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would bless it and apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.